Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, we're doing this. How many are doing this? We're doing this together. What does that mean? We're reading our Bible. Well, this Bible, the chronological Bible, we decided with this church, as a church, as a family, we're going to read the whole Bible together this year. Now, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Who got a little behind over the summer? Wow. I mean, we got into some of the prophets, the major prophets, and it was easy to get behind because they were just sad and some of it wasn't really thrilling. And you had to really work hard to try to find Jesus sometimes along the way. But in the next three weeks, we're going to spend three weeks with the prophet Ezekiel. Isn't that exciting? So you're reading in Ezekiel right now, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, a bunch of those prophets. And so we're going to be teaching on Ezekiel for the next three weeks. Ezekiel was an interesting guy. He had all kinds of visions. God told him to do things like make a little pretend city of Jerusalem and then wreck it and do that as a prophetic act. And he was taken away either in the first group or the second group of people when the Babylonians kind of overran Jerusalem and Judah, some of the exiles that were taken away. He could have been in the first group, definitely the second group. But he was taken to a place near a river called Chabar over in Babylon. So he was exiled and out of his place. But God used him as a prophet. Half of the book, he was declaring judgment on everything and everybody. But then the next half, he jumped into a place of declaring amazing prophecies and declarations of a king coming, a messianic king in the line of David is going to come, and there's going to be unprecedented restoration. So we're going to have fun next week and the week after, not this week. (laughs) <laughs> no, so I mean he also God told him it was like what was it 330 days to lay on his side and he said I want you to cook your meals on human dung and he begged God he said not the human stuff please he said okay cow dung but he had to for 330 days and then another 40 days he had to flip to the other side but here's a guy who for like like a year had to lay on his side and cook his meals on dung how many would think he's a bit crazy And yet this guy wrote a big, big prophetic book in the Bible. And actually, it's a really awesome book that declares some really incredible things. So this is our friend Ezekiel. And so we're trying to find Jesus everywhere we can in the Old Testament because Jesus said, when you read the scriptures, when you read the Old Testament, when you read that, it speaks about me. So we want to, a lot of people just avoid it. Like just avoid the Old Testament because it's hard to explain. It's creepy. But, but we intentionally, all year long, we so far have only been preaching out of and referring to the New Testament, but preaching out of the Old Covenant. And how many have found Jesus once or twice? It's been good. You've got to have a working understanding of the Old Covenant and why it's there and what it says to us. So I'm going to just do a, a little bit of encouraging stuff to start. I'm going to go to John chapter 8, verse 19. John chapter 8, verse 19. They said, where is your father, they asked him. Where is he? And Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus, and they got freaked out there. They got really upset with them because basically 
who do you think you are? You're basically saying you're one with the Father. Are you saying you're God? And they, they picked up stones and they wanted to stone him. But Jesus was saying, if you want to see God, if you want to understand who God is, if you want to understand what God's like, me and the Father are one. So if there's anything in the Word of God that you read that doesn't look like Jesus, that is not a representation of him. And you're allowed to do that. Because he said, he said to the Pharisees and religious leaders, he said, you're looking for me in the scriptures. I mean, you memorize them. You're doing all these things. You're looking in the scriptures, but you don't find me. And it's all about me, and yet you miss me. And they pay attention to all the stuff that's not about him when you should let the scriptures speak about Jesus. So give me another slide. Colossians chapter 115, the apostle Paul said, Christ is... Jesus Christ, the anointed one, he is the visible image of the invisible God. The invisible God that you can't see, if you see Jesus, if you look at Jesus, you're going to see the invisible God. So you always have to use the lens of the cross, the lens of Jesus, the lens of who he is, his life, how he behaved, how he interacted with people. That's God. All right, John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me or has seen the Father, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1, 3, the Son radiates God's own glory, and he expresses the very character of God. Anything you read that is not manifesting and is inconsistent, does not line up with Jesus, you can cast that aside because the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they're in absolute union. There's not like one God in the Old Testament and one in the New. God is good. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, it said, I tried to speak. I was trying to communicate through prophets and through teachers in the Old Covenant. I was trying. What does that mean, I was trying? That means that I'm not sure I was successful. And it means, but now I've really communicated clearly. Well, how did you do that? Through my son. My son is exactly the very nature, the very character of who I am. Can I get an amen? All right, just got to revisit those things. And it's important because here's A.W. Tozer. It's not a scripture, but A.W. Tozer, I love his writings. His book, Knowledge of the Holy, was one of the first books I had to read in Theology One in Bible school. But Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I say God to you and what you think right away, that's the most important thing about you. You're, if you think God is, is not to be trusted or you're not sure about him or you're on shaky ground, if you're not sure how he feels towards you and who he is in relationship to you, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. He said the gravest question before the church is always God himself and the most portentous. Say portentous. Say significant, important. That's what that word's all about. I had to look it up. Anybody else? Just use that in a sentence this week, too. I'm going golfing tomorrow. I'm going to, that was a portentous shot. Really important. I hope so. Amen. Glory to Jesus. You know, the most important thing about you is that the most important portentous fact about any man dot, dot, dot is not what at any given time he may say or do. What's most important about you isn't what you say or what you do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend to, by a secret law of the soul, move toward our mental image of God. So your mental image of God is 
a work in your life and it is moving you in areas of your life, it is so important that you have a clear, clear revelation of who God is. How many have had your revelation of God shifting a little bit? Even this year, if we've gone through the Bible, you've seen these things. How many have shifted your understanding? How many thought the, the creepy God of the old covenant, that's weird, but, but you've gained and you've begun to realize that it's not like that at all. There's Jesus everywhere. How many have had just a little bit of a shift towards, he's a good God. Thank you, three hands, four people, five people. Those people napping, continue, please. All right. Very important stuff. Really, really important stuff. Revelation chapter 1, 12 to 18. Here's John. Now, John, who was John? Who was the Apostle John? What do we know about John? What we know about John is he was probably Jesus' best friend on the earth. We know that he had the 12. He had inside the 12, he had three. But inside the three, he had John. I mean, right at the end, even when he's on the cross, he turns and John is there and he said, John, my mom is your mom. Take care of my mom. John was a really important person to Jesus. So here's John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's there in the spirit waiting on God. And suddenly, boom. I mean, Jesus shows up. I mean, he really shows up. And John's like, oh, awesome to see you. Thanks for coming by. What's up? I've been taking care of mom. But here's what happens. Boom, Jesus shows up and his eyes are fire. His tongue is like a sword. His voice is like the sound of thunder in many waters. And John's like, chill out, Jesus. Dude, what are you doing? Oh, boom, he falls like a dead man. This is that same Jesus. It's that very same one. But he comes in a completely different, powerful manifestation. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me. He said, don't be afraid. I am the first and last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive. And I am alive forevermore. So he continues on with this revelation of Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 4, he's caught there and he's brought up in front of the throne of God. And it says, I saw a shiny sea of glass like sparkling crystal. And in the center and around there were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. And the first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Here he is seeing these visions and being caught up with Jesus in the spirit and seeing all these incredible things. It says, each of these living beings had six wings and with their six wings, they covered over their eyes inside and out and day and night. They, after they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the one who is, he always was, who is and is to come. And John was having some pretty amazing experiences, a pretty incredible demonstration and manifestation of Jesus and a demonstration speaking to him about what God was about to do. Let's go to Ezekiel. You ready? So I read all of that to take us back to Ezekiel. Now Ezekiel, it starts in the very first chapter of Ezekiel. All right, Ezekiel, the purpose of his book. Here's what a lot of it said. 72 times in Ezekiel, he said this, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In the book of Ezekiel, you're going to read 74 times, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So we know that that's a strong purpose for him writing that book. He wants you, when you read Ezekiel, to get a strong revelation of the knowledge of who God is. 94 times it's in the Old Testament, but 72 times that phrase is found in Ezekiel. That's a, a massive you know, proportion of that in Ezekiel. 93 times he said the Son of Man. So Ezekiel was a, a book of, of hope, a book 
of a coming Messiah, a book of, of here's what happens, here's what happens. Sin has its punishment. I mean, this is what happens. But even in the midst of all that, there is one who's going to come. The Son of Man is going to come. God himself is going to invade your broken situation, and he's going to bring restoration to you. So it's a good, good book when you understand it and read it in the lens of the hope reformation and restoration purpose that God has for him. All right, so he has a vision. He has an incredible vision. The first thing he has is this incredible vision of this right here. Now, there's all kinds of renditions of it, all kinds of pictures of it, but here he is. He, he just, he, five years after he's in, you know, exile, he's there by the river kind of go, what am I doing here? And he's like, oh, God, I mean, I'm 30 now. I was in the line of the priesthood. I should be, you know, being set up to be in the priesthood now. And here I am in Babylon. I'm in exile. I mean, Jerusalem's a mess. What am I doing here? And then all of a sudden, he gets caught up. He gets lifted up, and he goes into a vision, and this is what he sees. All of a sudden, boom, he sees the throne of God moving. And he's like, man, the throne of God's supposed to be in Jerusalem, supposed to be in the temple. What's going on? What's the throne of God doing in Babylon? He's having this vision of God, his glory, and his presence, and that's all happening in chapter 1. So he's like, what is happening? So Ezekiel 1, he says, and it's very interesting, so specific, Ezekiel 1, he says, on July 31st, 31st, July 31st, <laughs> on July 1st of my 13th year, while I was in, a, I was a Judean exile beside the Kabar River in Babylon. The heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. And he sees all of this, but he sees, say face. Faces are important. Faces are a big deal in the scripture. But he looked at this throne, and he looked at these living creatures. He said, each one had a face in front of him, the face of a lion on the right side. Each of them. It wasn't four faces, four, but each of the, the you know, manifestations, the cherubim, each of these creatures that he saw, each of them had faces. One here, one here, boom. Their whole head was faces. It's faces. It's all faces. So he saw this. He saw these faces. And he saw the faces, each of them. Each one of them had a human face in the front, had the face of a lion on the right, had the face of an ox on the left, had a face of an eagle in the back. And that is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. That is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. Now, this is all, this whole book, it's all about the glory of the Lord lifted because of their, their unwillingness to let God be God in their lives and their insistence that we're going to take our lives in our own hands and we don't want you. We're not going to worship you. We're not going to honor you. I'm going to do what I want to do because of that sin, because of, of that sin of, of saying, I want to live independently of you. Essentially, sin is selfishness. I'm going to be my own person. And because of that selfishness, it's not that God punishes, but God tells you there is punishment for sin, sin in itself. Sin in itself, it, it pays, and it pays nasty dividends. So they're experiencing that, but here in this whole thing, he is seeing the glory of God. The glory left Jerusalem, and God took his glory to himself, and he wants to show, he wants to show Ezekiel that my glory isn't limited to one physical place. They thought we'd never be destroyed because they thought that's the house of God. That's the glory of God. We could never be touched. But I want you to know that I travel. I'm everywhere all the time, and I am the God who is there. 
And so here he is. He's, he's blown away. The, you know, God is over here in Babylon. And he saw the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell face down to the ground. And I heard someone speaking to me. So Ezekiel is there wondering, what am I doing in exile? But then he's wondering, where is God? And then, boom, he has this vision of the glory of God. Then he's going, what's the glory doing here? But God wants you to know that he is with his people. He is with his people. You don't have to do anything to try to get God to come. He is here. And when you believe in him, when you exercise faith in him, he takes up residence in you and you become the throne room of God. You become the living, breathing, mobile tabernacle of his very presence and his very glory. And Ezekiel didn't get that. He didn't understand that. But Ezekiel's going to show us that God is setting it up so that I don't live here, I don't live there. I live here, and the river of my presence and power and life is going to breathe on these dead bones, and I'm going to cause a spiritual man to rise up in power and authority, and I'm going to let my glory fill the whole earth. That's why we're going to spend three weeks in Ezekiel, because it's real, real good. So where is God? He has a vision of his glory. He says, what are you doing here? He found out that God is with his people, that God is working for restoration, and no matter where you are, God is there. Hey! Okay, that was good. Thank you for paying attention. All right, so Ezekiel 11, 11, chapter 11 is kind of like the end of this first part. Then he transitions into judgments, and then you get to about Ezekiel, and he's 32 or 34. You get into restoration, powerful stuff. But Ezekiel, at the end of Ezekiel, chapter 11, he starts to say, he said, I will give them, and this is the good news right here in this vision. He's giving you good news. He says, and I will give them singleness of heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and I will take away the stony stubborn heart you couldn't serve me because you had a stony stubborn heart even though all these rules all these laws even though all these things that they couldn't do they still could never do in fact they will never ever be able to do it because they've got a heart problem they got a stony rotten dead heart and they need a visitation of God where I will come and I will put in them a heart of flesh and then I will recreate a new creation realm where I will pour my spirit into them and I will be there and that's what he's saying. I'm going to take away that stubborn heart. I'm going to give them a tender, responsive heart so that they will obey my decrees. You see, you can't obey God from a stony heart. You need a transformation. You can't have external laws that you're going to try to obey. It's an internal revelation. It's not you obeying God's word. It's the obedience of God's word at work in your life, manifesting by the spirit of God, the nature that he's worked in you. So then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. Say good news. That's good news right there in Ezekiel. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. said, anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He said, there's a veil. There's a veil over people's eyes and they cannot see God. They cannot see the glory of God. They cannot see the goodness of God. But when you believe him, when you say, I believe you, there's a veil taken away. And the veil is taken away for the spirit of the Lord and where the spirit of the Lord is, should say where the spirit of the Lord is Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, Lord, because the Spirit of the Lord is everywhere. He's everywhere right now. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, Lord, and he's received as Lord and acknowledged as Lord, there is freedom. That word means emancipation from every form of bondage. Who the Son sets free is free. It's a spirit of freedom that comes into your life. He says that. The freedom comes so all of us who have that veil removed. Have you got the veil removed? 
Have you got the veil removed? If you believe in Jesus, if you accept that he is the only way to the Father, if you accept that he has reconciled you, he's dealt with your sin and totally set you free, if you believe, the veil is removed. So those for whom the veil is removed, they can see and they can reflect, they can manifest the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Now, careful, because I like the translation that says he takes us from glory to glory. You know why I like that one? Because it doesn't start with messy to glory. It starts in glory, and he takes you to glory. See, it's not messy to glory. Come to God, and he will take you from messy to glory. Messy to glory. Messy to glory. No, come to God. The veil's taken away. Where are you? In glory. And not a little bit of glory, all the glory. So what's the glory to glory? It's a greater understanding of the glory. Oh, this glory is awesome. Oh, look at the, oh, glory. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. You're in glory, and you're going to get a greater revelation every day of your life. This glory is awesome. And it's with me all the time. I mean, it's on me. It's in me. It's through me. It's God himself, his spirit, his kingdom. Wow, wow. Wow, that's glory to glory. It's not closer and closer. See, when we sing stuff like that, we put distance between you and God. Well, I'm more glorious than you. I've gone a little further down the glory line. You could get more of an understanding. You could soak on it more. You could meditate on it more. But you can't get more of him. You're in absolute union with him. You're one spirit with God. You have it all. But some folks just go, good enough. Unpack the whole thing. Invade it all. Get full revelation of what it means in your heart and in your life. Stop running around the room. You're so excited. Oh, that was a vision. All right. Sorry. Glory to glory. Colossians 1.27. God, in his eternal plan, eternal plan before the foundation of the world, God, in his eternal plan, chose to make known to them how great for the Gentiles is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Here, before the foundation of the world, God's mission statement is the glory of the Lord filling the earth. How are you going to do it? Give me, unpack for me, what is the strategy to get your vision statement realized? Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's not going to float it through the atmosphere. He's, he's going to take you with an unveiled face. You're going to be face-to-face -face with Almighty God. And in that face-to-face -face experience, out of you is going to flow a river of life that's going to transform your life, your world, and the world of all those around you. That is the plan. That's it. Plan A, no plan B. You're it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're it. You're it. Ha! You're it. All right. The hope, the hope and the guarantee of realizing the glory is Christ in you. The hope and the guarantee of God is so confident in you. Me, not so much. But God, no, I'm totally confident in you. I really am. I'm telling you. Because God started something in you that he's not going to stop. It's just going to explode into more and more. So purpose. Purpose is ultimately empty without personality. Purpose is ultimately empty without personality. Now, I'm careful when I say that because there is a personality for it. But you know what? God will use anybody at any time to do anything. Peter, when he, he healed the person in the gate beautiful, he said, don't look at me as if I did that because of my holiness. All I did was use the name of Jesus. So you don't have to get on a track of closer to God so you can do the greater works. The greater works are done by anyone. Whosoever will can do the greater works. These signs will follow those who 
These signs will follow those who... These signs will follow those who've taken 7,000 hours of intensive training on how to get close to Jesus. Now I finally qualified. Boop! Aren't you glad I've worked so hard? I'm a living, breathing, walking, qualified miracle doer. Boop! Any believers in the house today? I commission you now in the name of Jesus. Lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. One of the nastiest lies in the kingdom of God is you can't do it. Which is rubbish. Say rubbish. Rubbish. All right, good, good, good. If you hear that kind of teaching, I release you to stand up and say, rubbish. Okay, it's good. All right. Be nice, though. Be nice. Don't, don't say you're from our church. All right, so <laughs> now I'm going to give you another paradox of growth. Are you ready? In a word, this is a message. It's a paraphrase. In a word, I'm saying, what I'm saying is grow up. Well, pastor, I mean, what do you mean? That seems to... That seems to mean that I've got to attain something. I've got to grow into something. See, that's why I dislike some of these translations. Because they, they say that you need to mature to be used. You know, when you become a child of God, you don't become an infant. You become a full-grown son of the kingdom. You get the keys to everything because you believe. So, But he says you need to grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. I threw it in there because I like that phrase. You, you can grow up in your revelation. You can grow up in your understanding of who you are. You can grow out of the nonsense that's been taught to you. You can grow out of things that have cramped and, and hindered you and kept you bound in religion and it kept you from manifesting all that God wants. But you know what? Break that off in Jesus' name because he is for you. He qualifies you. He believes in you. All right? But now live out of your God-created identity. Don't live out of the identity shaped by anybody else, shaped by you, shaped by shame, shaped by the lies of the devil. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously. Live graciously towards others. Live the way that God wants you to live your lives. Can I get an amen? Amen! All right, well, we want to live out of that nature. So, so we're going to go back to Ezekiel because we see in Ezekiel that he said, I saw what was the glory of God. This is what the glory of God looks like to me. And later on, we saw John. He was caught up. He saw the glory of God. And when he saw the glory of God, it looked like something to him. There were faces in the glory that he saw. And when you want to describe somebody, you say, what do they look like? Well, they got a big pimple on their nose here, and they got a scar on their forehead. You talk about their face. You know, their face. And you'll talk about that first. It's a primary thing. But you see, God wanted to show us the faces of glory. He wants you to see the faces, the, the personality, the character, the nature of what is in you because it's the nature of God. You are a partaker of divine nature. What is that nature like? Let's unpack that a little bit. Nature, what is that like? So it also ties in, and many teachers and theologians tie it in, and I might have different connections with this. If they have a different connection with the Gospels, they're wrong, I'm right. All right, so the Gospels, four different pictures. The Gospels, why four Gospels, Pastor? Four Gospels written by four different people, all about the same person, but all showing different aspects of who Jesus was. And in this, in these four Gospels, you see the nature of these four faces of God. So in Matthew, you see the face of the eagle. In Mark, you see the face of the ox. In Luke, you see the face of a man. And in John, you see the face of a lion. And we're going to get to the New Testament in the last weekend in September. Everybody say, whoa! 
Well, we're going to introduce it a little bit now because this is what it's about. So Matthew, it's about the face of the eagle. So the gospel of Matthew, the nature of Matthew, it's revealing the, the eagle. It's revealing the face of excellence. Say excellence. And this is a part of you. This is who you are. This is the spirit that's in you. This is the glory of God in you. It's a glory of excellence. In the genealogy in the book of Matthew, it starts with Jesus the Messiah. He is a descendant of David and he's a descendant of Abraham. Matthew written to a, a Hebrew mindset, a Jewish mindset. So Matthew knew that when I write this, I have to prove to them that Jesus fulfills every single word about the Messiah. And he's got to be the son of David, but he's also got to be a direct descendant of Abraham. So he knew when I reveal and I talk about Jesus, I've got to reveal to them that he covers everything about Jesus, every prophecy, everything about him. He checked every single box. He is indeed God. He is the excellent son of God. So his genealogy was that. In, in 122, there's a, a phrase called that it might be fulfilled. The phrase that it might be fulfilled is used tons of times. It is the phrase most used in Matthew is that it might be fulfilled because he knew I'm speaking to people who knew that the Messiah has to be perfect. He has to be the exact manifestation of who he is. He has to check every box. So he used that phrase over and over again that it might be fulfilled. Fulfilled, fulfilled, because he knew their mindset, their cynicism was toward, is he really who we say he is? And he says, Matthew said he checked every boxes. He covered every detail. He was totally excellent in everything he did. What does that mean to you? You have an absolute excellent spirit. Every promise, every word, everything spoken over you, it's yes and amen in God. And it's excellent in your life. And you can have that face of an eagle where you embrace all the truth of God with excellence. The Old Testament is quoted more in Matthew than anywhere else. He finished the work. He did it with complete excellence. And the face of glory is a face of excellence. Thank you. Just trying to see if you're tracking with me. All right, let's, let's go on. Let's go on to the next one. The Gospel of Mark. Faces of glory. Here was the ox. It's the face of a servant. The ox was a temple sacrifice, often a temple sacrifice for sin. What was Jesus? Jesus was a humble sacrifice for sin. The ox was a plow. The ox would bear burdens. The ox would carry things. The ox would make a way. The ox. And the gospel of Mark is all about that servant nature of God. You don't need a genealogy when you're servant because nobody cares. So Mark didn't have a genealogy because uh, you don't very often say to a servant, hey, what family are you from? Nobody cares. Mark realized that I want to talk to you about the servant of God. I want to talk to you. And right away he went. And one of the phrases that's most used in the book of Mark is immediately and immediately and immediately. And when you start reading the gospel of Mark, you're not going to put it down because it's, an, it's like an Avengers version of the gospel. It's like miracle stuff going on all the time. It's action. Mark, he just goes immediately and immediately and immediately he was healed. And immediately they got to the other side. And immediately... Boom, 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 boom. And he always shows there's a fast pace, there's action, there's more miracles in Mark than anywhere else, and there's incredible manifestations of God himself interacting with his cared for creation and demonstrating his desire and passion to serve them. And that's what you see when you read the book of Mark. Amen. So you see that, and you know what? That's what we're called to be, an aspect of the nature of the glory of God, an aspect of what's been poured in you as you're going from glory to glory. There's an excellent spirit, but there's also a servant nature that's in you that other people are more important than yourself. More important. That is also pronounced more. More 
more, more important. Let me show you a verse from Mark. You ready? Mark 10, 43, 45. But among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to be first among you, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom, he says, be the slave of everyone else. Man, I just don't feel that working in me. Yes, it is. Because you got the nature of God. you got the glory of God in you. The nature of the glory of God in you, it's excellent. And you know, it's the passion and desire to put others before yourself. Oh, what a deep teaching on the glory of God, Pastor. Wow, the glory is all about service. Yes, it is. Don't tell me you're walking in glory and you're a selfish old thing. That was some good pastoring right there. Say thank you very much. All right. You got to, you must be, for even the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke represents the face of a man. And it's the face of relationship. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and it came to pass, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. And it came to pass is, is often in the scriptures, most often phrase in Luke, because he's constantly telling stories. Because he wants to show you the manhood of God. He wants to show you the, the relatability of the Son of God. And that's why why Luke wrote for the genealogy he finishes his genealogy with he goes all the way down the list and he finishes with the son of Adam brings it all the way back to connecting with all of humanity the son of Adam but then I love this he says the son of God and he shows the incredible relatability of God and every man. He says, Jesus was a guy for every person in every season of life. He was a person who loved to be with people. God is highly relational. And Jesus manifests the nature of the Father. And Jesus was at all the wildest parties, hanging out with everybody, connected with everybody. Everybody wanted to hang out with Jesus. He was highly relatable. Luke, it came to pass. Genealogy, Adam and the Son of God. Full of relatable stories. Luke has all kinds of parables. Luke is a, is a gospel that actually elevates women, puts women in incredible prominent places, makes sure that wherever women were used in the story, he made sure, you know, he's the one who says the first person to see the resurrected Christ, it was a woman. He's the one who was like, you know, women were significant players and had significant roles. He elevated that. Even in a culture that didn't believe in that, Luke on purpose manifests his nature to all mankind. He was also had a massive and incredible focus on the Holy Ghost and how the, God wants to relate to us in and by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the lion, the face of power, the face of deity. John chapter 6, verse 7, it says, verily, verily, or it says, truly, truly, or some translations just leave out, but it is twice. It's there twice. Truly, truly. I mean it. I mean it. Pay attention. Pay attention. Jesus really wanted to say something that was true. And he said, verily, verily. And that is said, that phrase, verily, verily, or truly, truly, is 25 times in the book of John. Because John really wants you to get the power. He really wants you to get that he is the son of God. He really wants you to understand that you are a child of God. He wants you to understand that he wants to fill you with himself. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Very important stuff. The genealogy in the book of John. Here's John's genealogy. You ready? The word was with God. The word was God. 
John wants you to understand that he is very God. Jesus is God. What you're walking in and you're living out of is divine nature. You've been restored to that authority and that place in God that you are indeed the children of the Most High. How are you doing? Good. All right. He was the very, very word of God. So John, the book of John, he perfectly reveals God on purpose. He wrote it specifically. He had seven miracles. He had the seven I am's and he had the seven discourses. And he did it on purpose with that number seven, the sevens, to show that he is perfectly, absolutely, completely divine. John chapter 2, verse 11, he said, This miraculous sign at Cana of Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. How did he reveal his glory? You know what reveals God's glory? Miracles. How did he reveal his glory? Miracles. He turned the water into wine. Well, that creeped everybody out. We don't want that. He reveals his glory through those incredible demonstrations of his power and of his anointing. And the Last Supper, I mean, more than, more than a third of the book is all about one meal that they had, one intimate meal that he had with his disciples. And he spent incredible time teaching them about the name of the Father, teaching them about who they were, teaching them that I'm going away, but I'm sending someone to you, the comforter, someone just like me is going to come to you. And he trained them and taught them that you are going to have that same power, that same ability, that same divine nature is going to come upon you, and you're going to become people who shift and change and take the strategy of heaven forward. And so John revealed all of those fabulous things. So that is, and this is, and when you read the Gospels, what you see is you see the full rounded faces of the glory of God. And if you say, I'm walking in the glory, I'm living in the glory, then there's got to be some excellence in it. There's got to be some relationships that are solid and real and genuine. There's got to be some servanthood. There's got to be some power. There's got to be a demonstration of the glory of God. Look at this right here. We are called to manifest his glory with excellence as we serve in relationship by the power of our union with him. Let me read it again. We are called to manifest his glory with excellence as we serve in relationship by the power of our union with him. Come on, stand up with me. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the glory, Lord. Thank you for the revelation of the glory. Thank you that the, the purpose has a personality thank you, Father, that you want to take us not from messy to glory, but you want to take us from glory to glory. You want to take us in a greater revelation and understanding of where you've placed us. You want us to understand and operate out of the nature that is in us. So, Father, I just declare right now in the name of Jesus a spirit of excellence over this body, a spirit of excellence over everything we do. I pray you'd baptize us everywhere we go, everywhere you've placed us, in every career, in every path. I pray, Lord, that we would be conscious of the fact that what's working in me is excellence. I pray, Father, that we would have that idea that I'm here to serve and that everyone around me, no matter where I am, every person near me is a person that I am called to serve. I am indebted to love them. God kind of loved them and just lay my life down for them. Lord, cause me to be someone who really, really cares about what I see. If you can't see it, you're not going to serve it. If you can't see it, you're not going to serve it. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for eyes to see all around us. There are things that we are missing. There's opportunities to serve that we miss because our eyes don't see. 
Sometimes we don't even choose to see. Sometimes we're so selfish in what we're doing that we don't have eyes to see and we miss opportunities all around us to touch people. And so, Father, thank you for eyes to see. If you can't see it, you can't serve it. But I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'll have eyes to see in your life, in your place, as you drive, as you come, as you go, as you rise up, as you sit down. I pray that your eyes would see opportunities to release the glory of God. I pray for relationships that are genuine, that are authentic, that are real. I pray that you relate in a powerful way. I pray that you, you look at other people and you relate to other people on purpose and with dignity and that you honor and you lift up people and that you realize relationships are something to be diligent with and to serve and be powerful in and people are something to be and have integrity with and have authenticity with and to walk with. And I pray in Jesus' name right now that you would get a revelation that you are a participator right now in divine nature. Not waiting to be, not trying to qualify to be, but God himself has qualified you to be a dispenser of the glory of God. The final verse in Ezekiel, the final verse is Jehovah Shammah. The final verse in all of that is, Ezekiel goes through all that he says to say, God is here. God is here here. And wherever you go, you walk with the glory of God. And wherever you are, God himself, son of Adam, son of God. You're a child of God. And everywhere you go, you are a living, breathing, mobile dispenser of heavenly favor. And the glory of God is so desirous to burst in and through your life. So I just want you to pray. All the believers are praying. Because, you know, the word we read today, it says, when the veil is taken away, when the veil is taken away. And it says, anyone who turns to him, says, if you turn to him, the veil is taken away. And if you're here thinking, well, I can't see it, I don't see it, it could be because there's a veil there. But when the veil is taken away, you see. And that whole transaction is where you say, I believe Jesus is who he says he is and I accept him as my Lord and Savior, then the veil is removed, and you see and you know as you're known. And I want you to join the family. I want you to understand and be reconciled to your Father. So what I'm going to do is I want to pray for you. But if that's you and you say, hey, I want that to happen, we're all praying. We're all praying. If you're saying, I want the veil removed, I want to see. I want the veil removed. I want glory to glory to glory. If you want that, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand. I want to accept Jesus. I want to receive him as my Savior. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to one, two, three. Then you're going to put your hand up really high. You ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand very high. Very high. Very high. We got anyone else? Anyone else? Lift up your hand very high. Okay. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. All right? And we're all going to pray. So if you had your hand up, you lift up your voice, and we're going to pray. All right? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for me. I believe in you, that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. I declare my sins are forgiven. I am healed and I am set free in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you that the veil is gone. And I can see your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can I get the prayer team to come up? If you're on prayer team and you're minister at the altar today, come on up here. And if you're not on the prayer team, come on up here. Just uh, if you're prayer team people and you may not be on today, just come and help us out up front, all right?
going to bless you, love you, send you on your way. Please pray for uh, Kids Church or pray for the, the kids program this week. We really do. I want to see 10 families just added to the church because their kids are touched. We want to see all these kids know what it is to know Jesus. It's one of the easiest things you can do is introduce a child to the God who loves them. So just be praying for it all week. If you're not volunteering, just come one day or, or pick a day. If you can't do all week, just pick a day and just come help and serve. We would so appreciate it. And then do this too. Next week, the great launch of Impact Bridgewater. Could you pray for that? And all of us pray. Declare 250 people. 250 people in that door. Invade them. Run them over. Just like the day of Pentecost. Boom. 3,000 people just like that. Oh my goodness, we're in trouble. We pray for a problem. We pray for a big, massive people problem. And we just pray God would bless it in Jesus' name. So please, all week long, pray for those things. You ready? So, Father, we do. We together right now pray for our uh, kids program this week. We pray, Father, thank you for all the volunteers. Thank you for it. We pray the week would go smooth. We thank you for blessing us and going ahead. We rebuke anything that would try to be a strategy against the success. We cast it down in Jesus' name. And we just pray you'd bless every single person, our staff, our volunteers, in the name of Jesus. We command people to come. We speak blessing, healing, just people set free, be honored and glorified through it all. We pray for Bobby and Cheryl. We love them, Lord. We thank you for the people that are coming. We thank you for the many you've added to them already. We just pray for a massive breakout next weekend. We pray you just do something explosive even in the whole province of Nova Scotia. So Lord, we're going to continue to lift them up. We're going to pray for them. We're going to call this into expression in Jesus' precious name. Bless these folks, each and every one today. Thank you for my beautiful family. I pray you would bless them and be with them. Let the love of God, let the full grace of the Son of God, Jesus, be manifest to each one. And Holy Spirit, put us on like a garment now. Take us out. Manifest your kingdom in and through us in Jesus precious name and everybody said amen God bless you have an awesome day the altars are wide open come and get some in Jesus name